I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, we hope Russia's leaders will recognize that a future of cooperation and peace will benefit all parties. The Cold War is over. This week on 60 Minutes, we reported on the Russian hack of solar winds. Thousands of businesses and government agencies were caught off guard by an unprecedented attack in a routine software update. Russia had access for nine months before the hack was revealed. The extent of the hack is still unknown. We spoke to three cybersecurity experts who told us that U.S. strategy for cyber warfare is inadequate. And if it doesn't change, the hacks will keep coming. The indictment charges 13 Russian nationals and three Russian companies for committing federal crimes while seeking to interfere in the United States political system. As a 32-year veteran of the Central Intelligence Agency, Jack Devine knows a thing or two about the spy game. His international experience with the U.S. government included postings in Latin America and Europe. During his more than 30 years with the CIA, he was involved in organizing, planning, and executing countless sensitive projects in virtually all areas of intelligence including analysis, operations, technology, and management. He is the recipient of the CIA's Distinguished Intelligence Medal and several meritorious awards. Jack currently serves as founding partner and president of the Arkin Group, which specializes in international crisis management, strategic intelligence, investigative research, and business problem solving. His new book, Spymaster's Prism, 
The fight against Russian aggression is out now. Jack Devine, welcome. You spent a good bit of time describing the covert action activities of Russia, not only in the Cold War, but up to and including its interference during the Trump years. It's fascinating. Why did you decide you wanted to write this book? Well, I think it's a story that's not well appreciated. I started writing around the 2016 election, and I was struck by the Russians' intervention in the political process. Now, as you stated, I'm a Cold Warrior, and I mean, I was around in the agency for a decade afterwards, but we had rules back then, and one of the rules was not intervening in the United States political process, and we did not intervene in their political process from Stalin forward. And a lot of people in the movies and so on, you know, see a lot of different operations, but we had an understanding, which the old timers referred to as Moscow's rules. You can't find it in writing. So I think there was too much focus on personalities and other things, and we were missing the big picture. And that is the Russians have continued to operate very aggressively, but on our home turf in the United States. And I just wanted to bring attention to that. And the book seemed to be the best pathway for that. I'm curious, because you dealt with a lot of different cultures and a lot of different countries. What makes the Russians different from the other people and cultures you encountered while at the CIA? That's a really good question, and no one's ever asked me that. But, you know, I think when we get to talking about Putin and what makes him tick. I mean, he's part of the culture. I mean, for most of their history, and you're a historian, you know, you had the czars, an oppressive authoritarian government, repression of the people, you know, being afraid of your shadow. And then you had World War II, in which they took a tremendous beating. They were allies, at least temporarily, lost 11 million people. So they've gone through great sacrifice and there's a deep-seated love of Russia, which, you know, I applaud. There's nothing wrong with that. But they are real nationalists, but they're used to living under difficult circumstances and different regimes. And the communists came along in 1917 and replaced the Bolsheviks, but put at least an equally, if not more, oppressive regime in. So the Russians I dealt with, you know, came from that background. But... The thing that's interesting about them, the ones that we dealt with in the Western world, in Paris and Mexico City and Hong Kong and Tokyo, they were more cosmopolitan, right? And when you look at Putin, his upbringing was not of that ilk. It was more internal or in East Germany. So when you look at the Russian culture, it's one that sees itself threatened and attacked and has a very strong national vein. And Putin plays to that. To what well, extent does Putin's background in the KGB, in your judgment, to what extent does that shape how he thinks? I think it's the key. I have a chapter called uh, Spy Master's President. And the, there's a quote right under the title. And it says, there is no such thing as a former KGB officer, Vladimir Putin. I would say there's no such thing as a former CIA officer, Jack Devine. But I know what he's talking about, and that's how do you look at the world? What's your makeup? And when you look at Putin, it's important to realize that when he was 17, he tried to join the KGB. He saw it 
career aspiration. And he was turned down for his age, but eventually joined and was quite successful in his early career. But he drew the short straw. He went to Dresden. I mean, if you could imagine in the Cold War, Marcus Wolf, the famous spy who had 100,000 spies, he lived in the Dresden environment. And I think it shaped him. Wolf was the La Carre model for many of his books. So when the world came to an end for him, it was when the Soviet Union collapsed. And I think he was determined that point forward that he would do everything he could to reinstate Russia's power. And I think the big point that I would make about Putin is he has a truly genuine Cold War strategy. And I think it's outdated, but we better recognize it for what it is. What do you mean by that? Well, when you look at, you know, what was the Cold War strategy? It was to weaken the neighbors around Russia Central. It was to make sure that the Ukraine was part of Russia. Russia is a small, small potatoes when you look at their GDP. When it stands alone, it's probably less than Spain or about the same as Spain and Italy's. But with Ukraine, it's a much more powerful entity historically. So the fact that Putin went in and basically took over the eastern part of Crimea is a good example of his ambitions. He sees the United States in the Cold War mentality. They were out to get him and his country. And I think the other thing I would point to is in the Cold War, we sort of challenged each other in various territories where we rubbed up against each other. So he's meddling in Venezuela. Warm water ports, you know, he's got a foothold in Syria. So I think he's punching very much above his weight, but it's a very tactical execution of a Cold War strategy. And I think for the good of Russia and for the good of the Western world, he'd be better off if he was part of the Western alliance. There's no reason now that they're no longer communists with any ideological orientation that they shouldn't be. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In your judgment, what's the danger of Putin or his successor ultimately deciding that their future is more with China than with us? When I ran the Afghan program, the U.S. government's program to drive the Russians out of Afghanistan, Stinger missile went in during that time frame, I used to have to negotiate with the Chinese to get weapons. And what was interesting, I went out there and I had to buy 125,000 AK-47s. And the Chinese, you go through this ritual. And at the end of it, they said, Jack, we'll give you the AK-47s at 165, which was lower than the market prices. And I said, this is very great. You know, I really appreciate it. Why are you doing it? He said, well, you know, we like the fact that you're punching in the Russians. I'm just saying that there's a deep-seated unease, and this is a marriage of convenience. If you look historically, Russia and China look at each other's with that you're on the side. So I think we have to be mindful of the tactical relationship, but I don't want to make it bigger than I think it is. And do you think there are grounds for trying to create a positive relationship with Russia? You mentioned that there's no reason they shouldn't be potentially our ally. Do you think that's plausible and that Putin could accept that kind of relationship? Yeah, I've actually been an advocate for resetting, but I lived in Argentina for a while. I was the station chief down there, and they had the tango. It's the old expression. It takes two to the tango. So... President Biden may want to reset, but it's like the tango. You need another partner. And he has not demonstrated the sincerity about a reset. He has a strategy. And there's another dimension, which I know you're familiar with, and it's the hybrid strategy. They have a military political strategy by their chief of staff, Garizmov, in which it says you use political activities to weaken your enemy. And he has engaged in this. So I don't see any indication that other than smiling and saying nice things from time to time, I haven't seen any concrete steps that would give me optimism. 
The Russians are tough. The charm offensive is not going to work with Putin. It has to be real strength, real power, straight talk, and maybe in private. Given what we know of President Biden's background and the people who surround him, what are the odds that they could understand the realpolitik of somebody like Putin? Well, we got a long, slow haul here if they don't. I mean, everyone wants to focus on China, and I get it. And China is a geopolitical, military, economic threat to the United States over the longer term. But you want to talk, as you started, Newt, on the intelligence side of it, the most aggressive one in terms of meddling politically in the United States is unquestionably the Russians. So where will the Biden administration come down on taking this threat and taking it seriously? Now, so far, it's too early to make a call, but there are no rules of the road, as you know right now, in cyber. So there's no effort either by the last administration or the current one. It's too early, but to try and establish new rules of the road And if left unchecked, I I think we're going to continue to see them meddling in our political life. Right now, from your perspective, the Russians have been the primary aggressors in trying to both manipulate social media communication and to some extent manipulate or penetrate our entire cyber system. Would that be a fair comment? I think that's a fair comment. I think both of them are very aggressive in collecting intelligence, right? And this is not uncommon (laughs) in any major state and even minor states. So I think both sides are doing as much as they can to collect. The Russians have been at it longer, and many technical operations begin with human capabilities and human sources. And I'm saying the Russians have been in this game longer, and I'm prepared to make a modest wager that they're deeper into our system, a combination of old moles and spies that provided bridges. And I think when we look at solar winds. I don't want to downplay because they're really an important, an egregious violation. But I think they're deeper into their system. And the Chinese are very vigorous themselves and have been in collecting. The big difference is it's hard to see where the Chinese are actually meddling in our internal political process. I think they're in a strategy with us where we need cooperation. If we started seeing them meddling in our internal affairs politically, I think the reactions against China, which are growing every day, will spike. So I think they've been more reticent. I would say clearly the Russians are more active. It is part of their strategy. I don't see it defined as part of the Chinese strategy. It is part of the official Russian strategy. You mentioned solar winds. Just for our listeners, could you describe what solar winds was? Well, I think this was a sophisticated assault by the Russians. They penetrated into DHS, Treasury, State Department. I think they got into, I want to say, a thousand cables in State Department alone and official cables involving the Pacific, not all of the state cables, but three of the major areas. So they found what I would call a weakness in the system that was being used by many, many companies and they got into that system. I'm just surprised at this point in our cyber life that we don't have these things capped off. I mean, we spent billions of dollars both in private sector and public sector. To have something like this happen is profoundly troubling. Given that they were able to do that, what would you say is the state of the American defensive capabilities in cyber compared to the threats against them? The problem with cyber, from where I sit, it is a 
incredibly strong weapon offensively and has great capabilities for destroying, undermining, and attacking. The capabilities to defend are much more limited, particularly in a democratic society where we don't want the types of control zone that they have in China and elsewhere. So our abilities, I mean, I think we've been steadily trying to prove them, and I think we spend, as I said, a lot of money, but you can't help but shake your head when you see things like solar wind. So I think we're, we're on, a, on a weak side. I don't think we're going to be able to develop a defense that stops. We should be doing everything we can within reason, but I don't think that's the solution to the problem. I think the solution is we really need to find some ground rules and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, and I don't think they exist. Don't you have to have some coercive ability to enforce the ground rules if you could get an agreement on them? Well, I think, to be more specific, I think you really have to sit down with the Russian intelligence and have a discussion about, look, let's not talk about what we're doing to collect information. But there are no rules to the road or the political interference. And frankly, for these reasons, it's clear that you're doing this. It has to stop. And what are the rules? And if they say, you know, the hell with you, we're going to go do whatever we want. Then we have to respond in kind. And no one wants to bite that bullet. We're already in the second Cold War. I mean, people don't recognize it because it's it's less visibly dramatic. But we are now in a situation where once you start meddling internal affairs in the United States, you're in a Cold War and you have to back it off. The policymakers are going to have a really difficult time in deciding what do you do, when do you do it, when, as you said, you need to muscle somebody And it has to be very measured. It's brinkmanship. I would hope that we would be persuasive enough that we wouldn't get to it. But if we don't, you can't let it go on. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From your perspective, do we have strong enough intelligence assets that we could actually, in effect, enforce a deterrent strategy? When they asked me, I would reply in kind in cyber. And I think we have tremendous capabilities in the cyber arena. I think our capabilities are very great, but as you know, we put a lot of weight on restraint. We haven't used them. I don't think we have any problem punching back. And I think I wouldn't recommend you full bore and bring down the lights in Moscow, but I think you would demonstrate, look, he has internal problems. He really shouldn't encourage us to create a situation where we would only foster those. In the back of his mind, he may think we're already doing that, which I don't believe to be the case by any means. And his intelligence should be good enough to tell him, no, the Americans aren't doing that. But at this point, his interest to start this type of of dust up, because I do think we could do it. And I sure as heck would hope we don't get there, but we have the capability. I'm curious, given all of these different factors. What led you to decide that now was the time to write Spymaster's Prism? Well, I actually started off, I was going to write a book on my favorite Cold War heroes, right? I started to write the book and it was just going to be a fun ride with all the folks that preceded me and how important they were, you know, the best generation on that. And then, frankly, when the Russians intervened and you began to see what they were doing, I decided, you know, It's nice to touch on that, but maybe you better start writing about people might not understand well enough the intelligence history, the struggle that went through the Cold War, but never ended. Ended for a matter of months. I was in Moscow in in June of 91, and it fell in August of 91. No correlation, my presence being there. But at the end of the day, you know, a year later, they were pretty well back. And they even sent a member to Robert Hansen, who your audience may not be familiar with. Robert Hansen was the mole inside of the FBI. And when the Soviet Union collapsed, KGB sent him a note saying, look, don't worry, we've got you boxed in. And 
No one's going to know. We're going to keep taking care of you. They were even up and running. But if you look at the trajectory of Putin, he's getting tougher and tougher in the intelligence business. Right. And more aggressive and more risk-taking. And I think that's an important point, Newt, the risk-taking. And I think he's been successful in life because he's taken risk at different points. Although the reason the big shots put him in as president back in the post-Yeltsin period was they thought they could manipulate him. And what they were really were dealing with, one of the great manipulators in Russia. So they end up with a short end of the, the stick. But he's a very cunning, smart intelligence officer looking at things as an intelligence officer. He just has a bad playbook. <laughs> in a sense, the guys who thought they could control him really underestimated how tough he was and how ruthless he was. I think that's right. I think he knew what he wanted to do. He had a clear vision. I mean, if you're just in there to rake in some of the goodies from the power and prestige, but he had a vision. He was going to to convert Russia back to what he thought it should be. So you don't normally see him as a visionary, and it's a narrow focus. In other words, he went to restore Russia, and I think he should get some credit in that category. But you know, there are other ways to do it than being hostile or confrontational with the West. Well, he hasn't found that track yet. I want to thank you. I'm delighted that you're staying active and that you're continuing to keep your finger on the evolution of the American role in the world, because it is changing both by technology and by the makeup of our adversaries. And I think it requires people who come from a background of understanding how real this is, who can then help educate the rest of the American people. And I'm confident that once we learn enough, we will in the end do the right thing, but sometimes it takes us a little while to learn enough. So I really appreciate your involvement and your citizenship, and I appreciate your taking the time today to talk with us. And thank you for including me there. Thank you to my guest, Jack Devine. You can read more about his new book, Spymaster's Prism, The Fight Against Russian Aggression, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 